While Katie and Renee meticulously search Ishtar's temple, looking for a way back to the future, Mudad prepares for Queen Uni's royal arrival. Chapter 19 Cosmic String Theory Katie and Renee quietly entered Ishtar's cella, the windowless room containing Ishtar's statue and artifacts. She closed the door while Renee used his torch to light the wall lanterns. The cella was the holiest place of the temple, where the priests conversed with their gods, the same place where the ancients found Katie and René. An eight-foot statue of Ishtar, set on a stone pedestal two feet tall, dominated the center of the cella. Bright frescoes celebrating the goddess adorned the stone walls. René rapped on the cella walls with his knuckles. I'm trying to find a hollow place, or some kind of hole, or indentation, or any clue to how this happened. I know time travel is possible because cosmic string theory predicts it. Well, we are living proof it does, René. Here, use this mallet. It's heavier. When he did, it made a much louder thunking sound. What were you saying about cosmic string? Katie asked. Time travel is doable using cosmic strings. Thunk, thunk, thunk. What are they? They are regions in the universe where narrow tubes of energy stretch across the universe. They're left over from the early cosmos and can warp the space-time around them. The discovery of two identical galaxies in 2003, close together in the sky, led to speculation they had discovered a cosmic string. The noise from the mallet brought Nabil rushing down the hallway to find Ishtar and René meticulously inspecting each block of stone. He watched as Ishtar instructed René to tap another spot. René paused, then continued with the heavy taps. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Excuse me, my goddess. Is there something wrong? Are you unhappy with your temple? Nabil hesitated to bring up such a wretched idea, but was beside himself with consternation. It's okay, Nabil, Rene tried to calm the priest's anxiety. We're looking for a secret passageway. But Ishtar, this has been your room since time began. Realizing what her appearance in this room meant to her caregivers, Katie answered carefully. I am not always here to look over this temple when I am moving between worlds, Nabil. I fear there may have been evil changes during my rebirth. We are verifying the sanctity of my cella. Oh, then perhaps you could bless the investiture afterward? He looked at her hopefully. Katie wasn't sure what that meant, but she agreed anyway. Absolutely, Nabil. But first, I must make certain no evil has entered here. Have you ever seen any of the stones in this room fall away? or somehow become open to other places, other worlds? He shook his head. Have other gods arrived here? Again, he shook his head. What is this small door in the back, Nabil? That is where we store the treasures of Lalish, he explained. Can you unlock the door for me? Katie asked. Only Mudad has the key. I will find him, Ishtar. Katie nodded. When Nabil left, Rene and Katie spoke in English. How does this string theory show time travel is possible? And how do you know about this, Rene? I read about the concept a few weeks before we left for Iraq. I really liked the idea. I think that's why I remembered it. Time travel happens by invoking time as the fourth dimension, the time dimension. Really? Mm-hmm. It's the only way for two identical galaxies to be in the same place at the same time. You're telling me a scientist has seen two galaxies physically superimposed one over the other? Well, nearly so. Okay, but how can we travel between these two? With the cosmic strings that connect us to the fourth dimension world. They are strings of highly condensed energy, and they provide a bridge, so we can travel between them. 
Men have already identified paranormal regions where the strings have earthly attachments. They include the ancient temples of Egypt and other shrines and temples of ancient cultures. Katie looked at Renee questioningly. But you know this already, Katie. In the Segi ruins of the southwest, your skinwalkers come and go through a time gate in the canyon ruins. I'm sure there are many ancient temples built on places that emanate the string energy. The difficulty you and I have is to find out how to recreate the catalyst to re-enter the fourth dimension. And there must be a way to pinpoint a scientific return destination date. We can go home once we figure out those two bugaboos. How do you think we got involved in this weirdness? It was something to do with the explosion. Possibly the kinetic energy released by the grenade forced us into the string. But we can't direct ourselves in this stream. It was just a fluke we showed up in this time. Maybe we can, Katie. This is a two-way street, as energy flows in both directions along the strings. Do you remember what happened at Hearst Castle? Two of the ancient statues became energized when you got close to them. I think something connected the objects to the cosmic strings. Oh, and it happened after the peyote ceremony, Katie. Maybe the peyote worship is another necessary ingredient for the time travel recipe. Katie stopped and thought, this feels like another pipe dream. Surely there isn't such a thing as energy strings. Still, so far, it's the only explanation that makes any kind of sense. You make it sound so easy, Renee. Just set an address, light a bomb, and jump. It sounds like suicide to me. We might as well kiss our sorry asses goodbye. Stop it, Katie. I need your help, not your sarcasm. We came through. We should be able to go back. Well, I see nothing here, Katie said, as Nabil arrived with Mudad, worried and breathless. Come on, Renee, let's calm these guys. They think we're tearing the temple apart. We mean no harm, Mudad, Katie explained. I was looking for evidence of evil penetration by other gods, but I have found none. The little lie came easily. Nabil tells me you wish to see the treasury room, Ishtar. Yes, please. Unlocking the heavy wooden door, Mudad pulled it open and waited. Nabil entered first. Holding his torch in front, he squatted under the five-foot jam. Mudad stood at the entrance while Nabil lit the four wall torches. Ready, Nabil announced. Stooping, Mudad stepped into the small square room. It was more a private storeroom than a public venue. The walls were unpainted, and the tables and shelves were made of simple, unadorned wood. It reminds me of a tomb, Renee whispered to Katie as they followed inside. That's a table, not a sarcophagus, Katie chuckled. The items stored inside this place were as important to the Yazidi as anything in a royal tomb. Both the historic and current wealth of Lalish were kept here. Chests and sealed amphora stood against the wall on the right. Several clay tablets rested on shelves along the left wall. A smaller statue of Ishtar stood against the middle of the back wall, guarding the door. Tables to the right and left of the statue held religious items and costumes important to the priest's celebrations. Katie walked to a neatly folded pile atop one table. Oh, here are my clothes, she said. I wondered what happened to them. Renee came close. I wonder if my stuff is here. Excuse me, Mudad, Rebea called from the cellar. I have been looking all over for you. Queen Uni is arriving this afternoon. Can you hand me Ishtar's robes? Mumbling affirmatively, Mudad moved to the table. Instead of gathering the pile of her modern-day attire, Mudad dug deeper and pulled out a package wrapped in fading blue fabric. Here, Rebea, Mudad said, handing her the bulky package. Don't forget Ishtar's amulet, Rebea said. Oh, yes, Mudad replied. Turning back to the table, he pulled out a wooden box nestled next to Katie's UN jacket. 
Mudad opened it and carefully pulled a beautifully made golden loop from the box. I have fashioned this for you, Ishtar, he explained proudly, as he held it in front of Katie. The golden object was a torque, a Bronze Age piece of twisted metal worn around the neck. Katie's torque was unique. Two thick wires of gold twisted around each other to form a ring that would lay loosely around her neck. The braided cables joined in front, smoothing into two circular end plates with holes drilled in the center. Katie's upside-down IUD hung from them like a pendant. Please try it on to see how it fits, Mudad said. Katie bent her head as Mudad positioned the jewelry on her neck. The IUD rested just above her cleavage, looking like an inverted crucifix. The priest nodded in satisfaction. What is this, Mudad? Katie asked bemusedly. It is your amulet, Ishtar, the symbol of your power. I have added the chain so you may wear it. Thank you, Katie said, stifling a giggle. Never had she thought she would wear her IUD as jewelry. You almost lost this when you traveled to Earth, Mudad continued, and we feel that is how you were so injured. This amulet holds your power and strength. When you assumed human form and came to us, somehow it separated from you, and you became frail, like us. Mudad paused, satisfied with his reasoning, and hoping it was the truth. Smiling, Katie nodded and lowered her head, worried she would burst out laughing if her eyes met Renée's. Mudad bowed with pride and humility. Please excuse me now, Ishtar, he said. We are preparing for Queen Uni's arrival. And Renée, I have laid robes for you in your room. You will sit next to Ishtar. Renée grinned at Katie and solemnly left for his room with Nabil following behind him. Katie removed the torque and handed it to Mudad. Come with me to your bedroom, Ishtar, Rubeya said. I will arrange the garments we have chosen for Queen Uni's visit. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. 